A hearty bonjour and welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I am Ben Rothenberg, joined by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen here in Epernay. We are in Champagne <laughs> in France. Courtney, and why are we here and what did we see last night? We are here because, uh, yes, we drove from Paris yesterday to Reims, Reims, whatever. We've been calling it Reims, but every single time a French-speaking hey, person says that city title back to me, it doesn't sound like Reims. But we, we drove to Reims to go to the opening game of the uh, women's, uh, the U.S. women's team um, against uh, Thailand last night um, in, in Reims. And then we stayed overnight because this is the Champagne region is what everybody keeps telling me. And we're killing time until we can go eat some lunch. So we are in a lovely, beautiful square in the middle of this lovely small town in Epernay. Uh, yeah, you can hear a fountain in the background, probably some cars, uh, you know, bringing you a little bit of... French flair to to our otherwise classless podcast. The sounds of France. Yes, it's very. It's all very. Hopefully, adds some class. I mean, I don't know if cars are classy sounds per se, but they're driven by classy champagne people. Exactly. So, champagne problems are these cars. <laughs> uh, so the French Open. Well, okay, we can talk about the soccer later because I do have thoughts about the soccer. That I feel like we should share on here. Rants and raves, folks. Rants and raves. We'll talk. We'll rant and rave about the soccer. But uh, the French Open. Hap- we're recording this on Wednesday morning. French Open happened, ended three days ago. I gotta say, this tournament did not leave much of an impression on me. I, this was not, to me, gonna go down as a particularly memorable slam, or a particularly, uh, you know, yeah, memorable, I guess is the best word for it. Not, it was not, I don't know. For me, it just, it, nah. I was left kind of meh by the whole thing. I salute especially the women's champion, Ash Barty, who I think is a tremendous Grand Slam champion. It's been building up to this for a long time. It's a great personal story. It's a great story to get to tell. The semifinal she won was wild. The final was forgettable and honestly one of the worst Grand Slam finals we've had in a while in terms of just inter- you know drama and entertainment and stuff. She played well. But it was not a compelling match per se. I don't know. And then, and then, and then Rafa wins for the 12th time, which is a whole copy-paste situation. For me, it's or maybe copy-paste, find, and replace. Change 11 to 12. For me, I don't know. What, what is your feeling after Roland Garros? It a little bit in our review mirrors. Yeah, I mean, I think we had been talking about it throughout the tournament, and I had found myself having trouble engaging in the tournament as well. And I kept kind of thinking back and forth, is it because Roland Garros is the only slam of the four slams that I do regular radio? So I do radio for Radio Roland Garros, which I love, and I always ask, I, I, I always ask to do it. It's a really fun time. I love doing it. But what it does do is it does pull me away from kind of just sitting and being like, you know, enmeshed and marinating within the both both the men's and the women's tournament. That being said, it also allows me to watch a lot more tennis. I was gonna say, I feel like that would get you more involved in the tournament, if nothing else. Well, it allows me to watch more tennis because I can sit there and I can actually watch a match from front to end or in, in 90 minute blocks, as it were. So I do feel like, you know, like I watched more tennis, but I think that when I break down both events separately, and I think they should be probably discussed a little bit separately. Yeah. You know, like for the men's tournament, for example, obviously the top four seeds made it to the semifinals, which was great. There was a lot of, you know, question marks as to whether or not that was going to happen. So that was kind of the drama for the first 10 days. But at the end of the day, like my memory of the men's tournament will be the Vavrinka Sitsipas match. It's really good. Yeah, which again, maybe I'm again, and I'm being very upfront with my biases and all these sorts of things. Maybe it's because I was on radio for the final set of that. It was I was I was riveted by what I was seeing. I thought the level was amazing. Um, yeah, that so that's my primary memory of that. Then obviously you get the final four seeds into the semifinals. Uh, Rafa, Roger, Novak, and um, uh, uh, team not in that order, but um, and it's this wind addled. You know we had all this build up to these two matches, and we didn't end up. The conversation didn't end up being so much about it because. The wind was out of control. Um, the weather, all these sorts of things, kind of made it not about the tennis. Yeah. And at that story stage, you kind of want it to be about the tennis, right? So that was a little bit weird. And then I was on, obviously, the final. I thought was for two sets, great. Um, and then after that, it, it felt yeah. yeah, the men's final. And then it felt a little bit like a coronation, the last two sets of tennis, which is fine. I mean, it's it's Rafa at Roland Garros. There's a reason why he has this myth and this aura. 
at this event. Um, and so it's incredible that he's done it again. On the women's event, I think the, the not the frustration that's overstating it, but where it was difficult, at least even for me to engage is because there were lots of events, there are, sorry, a lot of results that didn't lead anywhere. So you had these amazing matches or amazing matchups. Osaka, Azarenka. Osaka, Azarenka is a big one. And then obviously Naomi loses the next round to Sinyakova. You know, like Serena plays that <clears throat> great match in the second round against Karumi Nara. Looked really sharp. And then loses fairly not... Straightforwardly. Yeah, straightforwardly is the right right term um, to Sophia Kennan. Um, you had, I think, the match of the women's tournament, um, if not the semifinal between Barty and and Anisimova, just because that was crazy. But in, front, in terms of quality, I mean, Sevastova Mertens yeah. was unbelievable. But, you know, it didn't necessarily lead anywhere. And so you kind of had this consistently happening. And meanwhile, uh, Vondrusheva and Anisimova were kind of going through the draw fairly easily. I mean, neither of them, before they, went, they lost their final, you know, the matches in semifinals and finals, didn't drop a set. The, the match against Anisimova over Halep, which was an, an unbelievable performance. I mean, unbelievable performance. Yeah. But, again, it didn't necessarily lead anywhere, and it was kind of so mind-blowing in how it played out in terms of the level that Anisimova played that it was relatively quick, and because it was relatively quick, somewhat forgettable. You know, like you kind of forgot that, 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 that she played that well, and then you go into the, the semifinal against Ash, and Ash is able to eke that one out. And then, as you said, the final was, was fairly straightforward. So lots of great stories, I thought, on both sides of the draw, but it felt like the it felt like the tournament was consistently in second gear. Yeah, it kind of struggled to get rhythm. Yeah, it just it just there was never like an over. I mean, for the men, obviously, the overarching storyline, as it is every year, is is tracking Rafa and, and Rafa getting through, and can Rafa do it again? And I felt like on the women's side, it was a little bit more, especially I think that when Kvitova and Burtons both had to withdraw yeah, and totally. pull out. Um, for their non-tennis related reasons, I think that that kind of deflated things a little bit as well. So yeah, it was hard. It was hard to get momentum and obviously that's region based. I know it was really big, you know, in Britain, you know, Joe Conta's run to the semifinals, yep. which it deserved to be. She was amazing. She, when was, she was winning a matches. stunner, a stone cold center, what she was doing, but, and obviously it was big in Australia, but uh, yeah, it, I mean, stacking it up against the last few slams, it's still great because it's a major and, and, and two great champions were crowned at the end of the day who played great tennis to do it. But momentum-wise, the, the tournament just kind of never really picked up yeah. steam for a variety of reasons. I was going to say, the I'm one, still trying to the one out. who I think had the sort of best arc of, of the semifinalists, of the women's semifinalists, to be a possible champion, it was Anissa Mova. Anissa Mova beat the defending champion. She has kind of this like easy storyline of being this like teenagers doing things. If she'd beaten Barty, it would have been another top 10 win for her. And then played an all-team final and won that. I was like, that was one. I was like, okay, I can sort of see this one coming together. Barty, like we said, won the Miami Open, so she's by no means a fluke player to be she's winning. Number another one big on tournament. the Porsche race to Shenzhen on Monday. She right. is the best player. Of she, the season. She's the best player of the season so far. Nothing says you know otherwise. That said, she didn't have to get a real steep-looking test on paper during this tournament with the draw. I mean, she beat Keys. Keys is a is a good player, Charleston champ. And she beat her in a pretty high-quality match that I did not see, actually, but I heard it was good. It was very high-quality, yeah. yeah. And then, I, I don't know, but at the same time, she didn't play a top-ten player to, at this tournament. She still hasn't been a top-ten player on clay, which I think is a weird trait for a Roland Garros champion. And that's not necessarily fair to her, because she beat seven players in front of her. But just like like you said, with Kvitova and Burton's going out, this tournament just, and Osaka losing the way she did, and Serena losing the way she did, it felt like just a couple of the sort of tent pegs of this tournament kind of got loose early yeah but I, I disagree I push back on that a little bit only because like again if if Ash had done what she had done and she was not Ash then maybe the top 10 thing and kind of the draw and all that sort of stuff I would maybe accept more as a pushback but because we've all known that this result was coming a major championship yeah. we didn't we expect thought it'd be it, next month right yeah. we thought it'd be next month we didn't necessarily think that it was going to be here and, and ash says the exact same thing but at the same time all of the 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 stars like if you read the 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 tea leaves as i if you chase if you read the tea leaves she was going to be always in the mix she was uh, one of my co-commentators matt brown she was his pick to win the title um before the tournament began it w and, and when people would say it, I'd be like, yeah, 
I could buy that. And again, like, I, I still think, and it's a stat that kind of blows my mind, only because maybe it's my own bias about the French Open, because it just seems in the last, like, 15 years to be a little bit more of the tournament of, of surprises, especially, on the, obviously, on the women's side, not on the men's side. But, um, you know, that only three times in the history of this event, which began in the late 1800s, has there been a champion of the women's event that was seated outside of the top 10. Mm. Just three. Obviously, two of those we've seen. Schiavone and uh, Ostapenko. But outside of that, it has been about the top 10 seeded players. And I wrote that article right before the tournament because Simona, Petra were two pretty vocal ones that were like, we think that it's, it's not as open as you guys think it is compared to last year when really we could say 15, 20 people could win it. They're like, this year it's more closed. And Simona said, I, I think it's going to come from the top 10. And there you go. Ash Barty. She was right. I mean, yeah. And she, Barty was push back a little bit on that. She was the only top 10 player in the semifinals. But still, yeah, Barty is... A, and we just, like... Again, I, I don't want my, like, sort of, like, gloominess about this tournament to at all overshadow Ash Barty because Ash Barty is tremendous. Ash Barty has an incredible personal narrative that is instructive. There's so many angles to her is, story. so many angles to her story that is instructive. Um, what was your favorite Ash Barty moment, Ben? I think I know what it well, is. Well, can you ask me about somebody? And I'll, and I'll we'll just act it out. <laughs> Fine. No, my favorite Ash Barty moment, repeatedly. Well, I had a couple. Obviously, just like she's just great to be around, and her her un- very unique, incredibly Aussie pluck about her, <laughs> I just find endlessly delightful. I was amused, which I think is what Courtney's alluding to, several times, at least twice, that I saw during the tournament, where she was someone alluded to Margaret Court. She's the first Aussie to win since Margaret Court, and Ash would hear that question and go, mm. "Sam Stoser, though, what a great player. <laughs> <laughs> Sam did a lot here, and just completely ignore Margaret and start talking about Stoser. I thought that was great, um, and you know." shows her loyalties to her generation of players who've been certainly put together through some through some uh, various downpours of, of defecation from, from the older generation in Australian tennis. And yeah, I, I think there's a lot to like about Ash. I think the way she goes about her tennis is super professional. She's uh, It's lovely to watch. She, she, People yes. enjoy watching an Ash Barty match. Enjoy, enjoy watching yeah. her tennis. Yeah. And I think that... Excuse me. I have a bit of a cough today. I was shouting myself a little bit hoarse in cold weather last night. 13 times. 13 times. The thing about Ash is that you can watch her, you watch her play tennis and there's a purity to it. It's like, oh, right. That is how tennis is quote unquote supposed to be played. And that's not a fair thing. And that's not meant to obviously denigrate anyone else. But obviously we know that there are a variety of styles on the women's tour, on the men's tour as well. And, you know, they're in the same way that people love Roger. You know, like in a lot of ways, I always make this argument that Rafa, Novak, they hacked tennis. They may, they, they're, they're able to do things certainly physically, obviously Rafa with the way that he hits his forehand, the top spin, things like that, that no one conceptualized. The founders didn't intend. Yeah, it, 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 no one conceptualized that anybody yeah. was going to be able to do these things on, 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 on a tennis court, right? Nobody at Wimbledon anticipated that Novak Djokovic would tear up the baseline because he could slide on grass. Like that is not what the the, the old folks that put this plucky game together uh envisioned dead folks at this point yeah yes. right and, and same on the women's side the amount of power the way that the, the women the women's game has kind of evolved in great ways and same with the men but there is this romanticism i think around the roger fetters to me in my opinion and maybe this hasn't caught on yet but about the ash Barty's and even yeah. you know von, Mar- marquette von Jushva, the tennis purists in that room in that press room were absolutely falling in love with her game. They loved watching her matches. One of the highlights of this women's tournament for me, another really good match that I think did lead somewhere, actually, was Von Joshua Martic, which is a really good great match. match. Great, great match. Great match. And one of the highlights for me was being in the press room. I was writing about Kanta mostly that day because Kanta beat in Sloan. And the, the rows of British reporters who were across the aisle from me, in the, just in the press workroom, all, like, wrapped watching Von Joshua Martic and being like, whoa, 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 this is great, whoa. It was in tennis. It was capital T yeah. tennis. And, like, and, and, that they, and they were, like, obliged to watch it because the winner was playing Kanta. And it was just getting those women a spotlight they hadn't otherwise had. Martic, right. had a, Martic we haven't mentioned her. She had a great tournament. Amazing tournament. Another amazing tournament. She was another someone who seemed to be building somewhere yeah. and then stopped right as she could have. She had a real storyline going at this tournament. And it was, in a quarterfinal run, her best ever to slam. Hardly anything to scoff at. Um, she, yeah, she, she, her win over Pliskova was outstanding. Yeah. Her win over, she destroyed Modenovic in the second round. That was a great win. Gutsy against Kaya Kanepi. We got to know her coach better, Sandra Zanevska. Oh, yeah, Zanevska, Sandra who, Zanevska. Who awesome. Just wait for the Sandra Zanevska glow up, you guys. Like, there were at least one reporter around that round table that was tearing up 
because of how inspirational Sandra Zanevska was. And so young female coach, we like we like to see more of that. It's all great. Um, yeah. So so that was another another good story. Like I said, there were like moments of it that as, as I think back more detailedly, like there were like I enjoyed lots of parts of this tournament. Like I was not it was not 2016 where it was raining the whole time and I was mis- everyone was miserable. <laughs> this was not that tournament by any stretch. But it's just like just in terms of this sort of there were some disconnects near the end that made it, and then the semifinal day, and how everything went on the you talk about the men's side with the wind being Adeline, and then the men the women's side playing simultaneously is always tough in a semifinal. I feel like you can't watch both both matches as fully as you'd want to, and being on the non-traditional semifinal venues, I think also takes a little bit out of the luster out of it, and that becomes a conversation, rightfully, uh, and, and if that should have happened, if it could have been prevented, why it happened, etc. Um, yeah, but but there was there was a decent amount of like that. Osaka as a rinka match also was great. Yeah. I was out there for pretty much that whole thing. Uh, like yeah, you'll get you'll get yeah. moments to put into the time capsule. Yeah. You know, like like you'll look back, oh, remember this, remember that. There'll be a lot of kind of like at the end of the season, like remember when or tennis hipster moments of like, you know, I think that Martich von Joshua match will be one of those tennis hipster moments, even Savastava Maritans. Even like Sonia Cannon checking marks. <laughs> you know, I mean like it just like honestly like seeing this like young kid totally undaunted by Serena and a crowd that was growing more hostile by the minute towards her. Like I, I was, was like, watching that match on mute, so I had no idea what was going oh. on until afterwards. I was like, oh, wait, what was going on? Yeah, she was getting a lot of booze. Kennan as Sophia slash Sonia Kennan as she was We should playing, just call her the Slash. The Slash, <laughs> Slash Kennan. Uh, she was uh, just like super, super just like dialed in against which Serena, is why against it was Serena. always and a dangerous yeah. match i always thought that we always thought we that always was thought that was it was it, like i before the tournament looking at the draw i always had circled potential kennan or andrescu because andrescu had to pull out uh but uh but that third that third round could have been big and then potential against uh, ash barty which given kind of it was interesting with serena coming into this event because you know she said she, i think she was asked uh in her first or second uh, press conference, sorry, as a weirdly fluorescent green bug was jumping on me, um, she was asked, you know, uh, if this was, did you think about skipping the French Open? And she, and she said, yeah. Every day. Every day, but I'm here to do my best. And I thought that at the time, I wasn't sure if that was, um, you know, downplaying pressure, you know, kind of like taking the pressure off, how much of it was true. but. You know, I mean, but it really echoed in a lot of ways her her kind of tone and demeanor in Rome a couple of weeks before of just kind of like, I'm just trying to do my best. I haven't been able to practice very much. And, you know, I haven't been able to hit a lot of balls. And there's a certain there's a certain tone to Serena. Like, I think I, I totally hear what you're saying and agree. Like, there's a certain I don't want to say helpless. That's like completely the wrong word for Serena in any case. But there's a certain almost like almost resignation or almost sort of like is what it is and sort of a like there is what it there, is there's yeah. a, so that sort of tone of like real not realism but like I don't, there's a certain tone about it it's like look like I'm trying like yeah. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, like yeah. I've been dealt a crappy hand this year yes, this year's not what I thought it was 100% I made true. two slam finals last year I did not I have not been able to keep well I was playing well enough in Australia I rolled my and, ankle and, and then my, I busted my knee and I also thought it was interesting repeatedly that she mentioned the ankle rolling in Australia she mentioned it several times uh, this month in Rome and Paris maybe only two but it struck out to me because she really downplayed it when she was in Australia, she the ankle did. rolling, which I thought was unfair to herself, honestly, because it clearly oh, did affect that I remember that, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, to, but then here, she was like, no, no, remember, I rolled my ankle in Australia. She was yeah. like sort of making clear, making sure the record was correct on that match, which it deserves to be. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think most people knew what happened in that match. Um, I think we walked out of that press conference in Australia kind of like disappointed that, I mean, obviously everybody on the outside, everybody's like, oh, it's so classy. She didn't blame an injury, et cetera, et cetera. But... It was be- very much about an injury. I felt I felt bad. I felt I, bad I, for her. I felt like bad for I was her like, this is going to get written up wrong, right? Because and, you didn't. And because you know, I felt like Serena, not I, that it's her I responsibility. Could, I could tell felt a lot of pressure. I was after what happened to the U.S. Open. They tried sure. to be as gracious yeah, yeah, as yeah. possible in defeat, and she did achieve that. But it did come from a place of sort of selling her own what happened that match short. Which, if you're anyone watching, anyway, not to rehash the <laughs> open quarterfinal here, but yeah, she didn't want a point on serve after rolling her ankle up match point. So, uh, yeah, so that was Serena. I mean, Serena's going, what do you, what do you think Serena for Wimbledon? Like she's still in Europe. We don't, mm-hmm. as of this moment, we don't know if she's playing any grass court warmups. She left it open and press. Venus signed up for Birmingham. Yeah. Got a wild card there, which is the first time a Williams has played a non Wimbledon grass since event. They since they both their... came back in 2011 from their, from their long-term injuries that year. Um, yeah, I mean like that was Eastbourne. That was like, yeah. like a last minute 
thing. This seems more like planning. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of expect Serena to play an event. I would think it would be Bir- Birmingham is one that makes the most sense. They're on the calendar. It's already Wednesday, and she. Yeah, I mean, I wonder. I don't know if they. I don't know if they have card top left. ten wild cards. And... Yeah, maybe. Oh, uh, is she top ten? Oh no, she's top. She's eleven now. She's not top ten. Does it matter what you were at the beginning of the year? Is that how that works? Or I don't. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know. I have to. <laughs> WTA is complicated. You it's, guys. It's. I. I remember the rules and I forget the rules and it's a whole thing. Um. But yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if she <laughs> plays and gives herself a, a real shot at at twenty four. Or if she decides, I don't think she'll do this. But if she decides, I'm not ready. And if she doesn't feel ready again, if she'll keep playing slams, feeling not ready, because she did not enjoy this long. It's, yeah, but it, it's got. I mean, I remember I said this on the radio a few times. It's it's just got to be so hard if you're Serena Williams, right? Because so you have yeah, yeah, you have you have done this. Yeah, you have come in like out of form and won majors. You have come in not fully fit. Yeah, totally. And you have won majors, and she must feel. That she's way closer to form and fitness right now than she was in those times where she won majors. Oh, seven, I'll show you an open, yeah. Right? So that's just got to be such a tough, tough decision. But the problem is, is like, you know, when when a young Sophie, uh, slash Kennan uh, <laughs> steps on and court Philippe Chatrier with absolutely nothing but full belief and understanding that this is a massive opportunity and takes her chances, the locker room sees it. The youth definitely see it. And, and that was always my thing about kind of thinking maybe skip the French Open because, you know, the, the losses don't, the losses resonate maybe more so in the locker room than they do with her because obviously she has the context and she understands maybe why the losses happened in a way that maybe the rest of us don't that are on the outside. But her aura is important. To her, to her game, and people say this about top players. I will, I will, res- I will circle back to this on my rant rave. But yes. yes, there you go. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh, that's probably about 13 minutes away. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that, so that's pretty much the women's draw. Uh, Osaka's still number one. Barty looks poised in very good position to get it on grass, which would be appropriate. Um, yeah, can't begrudge either of them. I hope they get to play each other some more. Uh, as Tamani Carroll pointed out, I think it's very, and you pointed out this too, this sort of gravitational shift. Yeah. In, uh, or the you know the sort of polar shift, I don't know what you want to call it, where the sort of concentration of the tour is. All of a sudden, the super European-American tour has a top two, which is a Japanese woman and an Australian woman. Yep. And that's pretty And even cool. more interesting there, I mean, a Japanese woman with Haitian descent. Obviously, yeah. Haitian-Japanese who lives in America. Uh, uh, obviously, Ash Barty, Aboriginal. Aboriginal heritage, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, like, when you step back and you think about it, especially when you think about their two individual journeys to get to where they are and both of them you know ash very publicly kind of stepping away from the sport finding it too pressure packed to uh you know dealing with kind of mental health just taking care of her mental health before yeah. she was able to come back and then you have like you know naomi it's 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 the introverted olympics but i mean in a lot of ways i mean like i was i think i was joking about this even after kiki uh cracked the top five kiki Bertens. Um, after Madrid, that that uh, the top five is is quite the introverted top five, and I was I was I've been spending a lot of time just kind of thinking about whether or not there's something about that in tennis. Like, does this sport actually, if you're introverted, does it do you actually flourish in this sport, or is it just this happens to be this group of people? I would agree. The only the one of the five now who seems the least introverted to me is Barty. Actually, I don't know if I would immediately call her an introvert per se. Maybe you you may know her. You may know introverts better in that way, but I don't know. She's the one who seems the most sort of I think openly is. outgoing of the of the group. No, I, th- I mean, I think I think she definitely is. Okay. I mean, like openly outgoing. I mean, you could probably say like a Kiki Bertens who everybody loves in the locker room sure. and is always ready for a chat and loves playing her doubles and hanging out with her friends. But every single one of them is like a massive homebody. Like every one of them, if given the opportunity, just wants to go home and see their family, and just like and maybe and maybe that's different, but but they are they're internal people they're not the ones that are out they they don't go out they don't find energy by being around yeah. people so you mentioned that's the top five on the women's side tell us briefly on the men's side uh what does it say about the men's tour because and i know people have talked to the french open had particular thoughts about this, particularly with in context of roger of roger not playing this tournament for a long, long time, and then making it to quarters without dropping a set, and making it to the semifinals. What does it say about men's tennis right now that the top four got to the final four of this tournament 
pretty unscathed. I mean, I don't... I have a really hard time with this because everybody seems very... Um, keeps falling into this trap of making this a binary argument. But I don't understand... Like, either they are great or... Or, like, I don't know. Or they can't make it a binary argument. I don't know. But it's like... I don't understand how you can't, like, understand that, like, this is a golden era for a reason. That these are special players. That Roger Federer is what Roger Federer is. Rafa Nadal is who he is. Novak is who he is. For a very, very And specific, team is very good. And team is very good. But, like, for very specific reasons. I mean, there's a level of greatness that is there. Now, I mean, obviously, Roger going through that draw, I mean, his draw wasn't exactly a, a, a landmine or a minefield. Yeah. Uh, Rafa's also wasn't so maybe there's a question mark with respect to you know what I thought was bubbling up more and more which is the depth on the men's tour like in other words I don't think that like we should be questioning or undermining the greatness of the grades but when we look at like you know the rest of the field it's more about depth right like if Roger or Rafa if it's so easy for them to make the semifinals and I'm asking where were the people in the second third and fourth and fifth rounds and in, in those instances, it's where we go back to, listen, you know, my point, I think I made a, a couple of episodes ago, where are those Thomas Burdick, uh, you know, uh, stoppers, the Songas, the Ferrers, like those guys who at least like made it on paper more difficult. You're like, you know, like you were like, oh, okay, quarterfinals, like this is when everything, and you started to see those same matchups yeah. of the top 10 all the time. There is a little bit more flux. Now, obviously here, a lot of players out. Kevin Anderson was out. Not that I'm saying that these players would play well on clay, but it takes some of the name recognition out of, you know. They would have been high seeds. They would have been high seeds. Isner was out. Uh, Raonic. Like, you know, a lot of those guys uh, couldn't play. Felix. So Rough tournament for Canada, by the way. So there's that. But at the end of the day, like, what exactly are we talking about? We're talking about Rafa Nadal at Roland Garros. Is the story really Roger Federer making the semifinals? No. I'm sorry. It's not. Um, I mean, it's an amazing accomplishment. Yay. You're amazing. It's funny that it's just the best slam of the last four was the French Open. Just funny. <laughs> uh, Paris is so weird. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, Rafa does what he does. Dominic Team did what he did. I mean, I think his win over Novak was massive, yeah. just mentally. I think that the yeah. circumstances of that match were, were un, uh, phenomenal. I, I, I got to say, like, he surprised me because was, there was a delay at 4-1 in the fifth with Team up 4-1 in the fifth. I think Deuce on, no- yeah. on Novak's serve. And I was telling people, like, I think Novak's still going to win this. And then Novak came, looked like he was going to still win this. I like know, and then, and, then, and then he came back and leveled right away, and I was like, see, told you. And then the team actually, like, was able in that crunch time late in that match to eke it out. I was I was impressed. And he got a raw deal with the scheduling, obviously, coming yeah. back the next day. The writing was kind of on the wall for that match. I, everything, everyone was impressed he made it as close as he did, which is a remarkable thing to say about a match where he lost the third and fourth one and one. But it was close than anybody expected. Um, he, yeah, the team is, looks close. And I will say also just on the sort of other guys – um, so that's number four. Five and six also had really good tournaments, I thought, which is Zverev yeah. and Tsitsipas. Zverev, I thought, had a really good tournament, he especially. I mean, he got tournament. he got his first ever top 25 win at a slam over Fanini, who was a real player on clay this season. That was a really good win for Zverev. Um, he started get it, getting it together. Um, in Geneva. He took that wild card. He, he won Geneva. Massive. I was trying to think even like who his third round was here. He had two best of, he had two five setters early. Yeah, which is typical. Um, but. You know, I, anyway, I thought it was a positive turn for Zverev. Gets into a quarterfinal. For the only the second time in his career, he lived up to his seeding. And that's part of what's been tough for him. Like, he kept getting seeded, like, third and fourth and second even at Grand Slams. And he just, like, had no pedigree and no... Didn't seem to have the necessarily... Well, the belief was kind of there sometimes. The results weren't. At least, like, outwardly anyway. Um, yeah, I thought it was a positive turn for him. Tsitsipas looks ready to win one of these things. He, yeah, yeah, he can recover. Yeah. But, I, I, he seems, I mean, he's been doing a lot of vlogging lately. I think he's fine. Great tournament for Stan. He got a I Tesla. Mean, he's so excited about his Tesla. There you go. Great tournament for Stan. Yeah, um, really good tournament You know, for Stan, really, yeah. really good tournament for Stan. And, you know, and, and it's that caliber of player that I feel like maybe when I look at the ATP, I feel like they're missing. It's not the top guys. Obviously, they have those. It's dominated. Um, and then, obviously, they have some potentially tricky players. But... I feel like maybe, you know, five, ten years ago, you had, like, a, a good core of, like, four or five Vavrinkas that, like, enlivened the tournament. Like the five through 15 players. Yeah, that yeah. enlivened the tournament that, like, and I felt like, again, on this side, it was about the stars having to sell it as opposed to, I mean, and we say this at a tournament where there was Rafa Roger and, and Stan Roger, but, it, yeah, it just still felt 
I don't know. It was odd. Because of this odd tournament, I feel like one thing I haven't mentioned yet, which I was felt like I should mention, and I don't have any good segue into this, is the sort of unexpected rivalry that developed across the draws after one of them was already out, um, which is Serena Williams and Dominic Team, which was, which again, I think speaks to this sort of tournament being like having like a weird like rhythm. This was sort of like the breakout story of the tournament, like in like mainstream media, which is dopey to be clear. That like this, you know, scheduling decision of a room that's like really super, super like, you know, in, super inside thing got this attention. But I thought it was an interesting sort of, I don't know, I thought it was an interesting moment of sort of star power. And I don't, I don't, again, I, I'm like part. I had this different split of mind the entire time since this thing started, where I was like, I do you want to talk about it because I feel like there's not enough information about it out there that's correct. Because Ben was there. I was there. I was there one were of not like, many people that were there I was one in of, the room. I was one of three people who I know for sure who were like independent reporters. I can tell you the other ones' names if you want to like corroborate, corroborate witnesses. But like who were there, and then all and like I sent like one tweet about it after like twenty five minutes. Like I, I was like I don't like is this a thing? And then when I saw Team's reaction, I heard how mad Team was. I was like okay, this seems like it's now a thing. A Team is now fuming this much openly in press about this. I mean. 30-second version of the story. Serena came down to press very, very fast after losing to Kennan. Like, within... She was down in the press room, like, in the press area, ready, waiting, within, like, four minutes, four or five minutes of losing that match. Faster than anyone expected her to come down. Um, we, they Now she was coming down. Like, she wasn't like she showed up unannounced, but she was there very fast. And they didn't have to be a room open when she got there um, of one of the main two rooms. And she just... She made it clear that she was not willing to wait. And she put pressure on the organizers to make it so she was not waiting, essentially. Um, and under that pressure, team was bounced from the main room. And being out there, we just, and I think Serena probably thought too, and, and she was in more direct contact with the organizers than I was in this moment. I was just sort of standing back watching, being like, what is going on here? <laughs> um, but I don't know, at the moment, we didn't realize the team's press conference had been ended abruptly. We just thought that it had come to a natural end, his German part of the press conference, and he was walking out. And so she was standing there, like, at the doorway of the room, like, standing, waiting, staring as, like, all this, as Team himself first, and the Austrian media filed out. And I think that's where Team's opinion flipped, where he walked out of the room and saw Serena standing there waiting. He was like, wait, she kicked me out now? And he had to wait for a couple minutes before he even got into room two, and where the video clip picks up of him continued seething, um, what the hell, and all that. And I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's not that important. And then Serena, once Serena got in the press room, she was great. It was actually one of her better losing press conferences I can remember. She was, like, pretty open, pretty, like, frank, pretty magnanimous. They're not magnanimous, per se, but, like, pretty just, like, you know, honest and direct and not at all terse. Like, she can't be in defeat. Anyway, so it was it was a weird thing. Uh, could she have waited more? Sure, yes. Is that something that she's done traditionally in her career? Like, been in a, been in a chill mood after losses? No, definitely not. Uh, do I think it was the organizer's fault? Honestly, they're getting a lot of blame. I don't really think so. They had to do something to disfuse the situation, which was kind of escalating as she was putting more pressure on them to make it clear she was not willing to wait. Uh, it's air, I mean, yeah. It's, yeah, it's air traffic control, and the only thing that, in, in terms of, of, of what the this organizers plane, This plane to was do, descending. Descending with, with, with no gas. Like, you couldn't ask the... Well, just circle back around. It's like, no, really, the fuel tank is emptying. Like, it, yeah. you know. But one thing that I will... Uh, the only thing that I'll add to this, just in terms of context, is we do have to remember that last year at this very tournament when Novak went into interview room two yeah. after his loss, and he came literally directly off the court, yeah. went straight into interview room two, it was a debacle for the media. Yeah, totally. Like, the media could not get in. Radio and video could not get in. The room had decommissioned. That room had been decommissioned. So there's no wires, no sounds, no lights. It yeah. was dark and bad. And, and, like, okay, people can sit there and say fans, da, 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 like or not fans, but, like, oh, the player wants to do it, like, blah, blah. But if... Like, it's Novak Djokovic giving a losing press conference. It is newsworthy. And, like, radio couldn't get radio clips. They couldn't plug into the system yeah. to get clean audio for radio, for media, you know, all these sorts of things. And a lot of journalists who are the journalists that you guys all want in there asking questions couldn't get in there, like, because the room was so small. Like, and you have to understand that that is then, I mean, the organizers, organizers got blasted for that. How could you let Novak go, you know? They tried to move it. He, would not, so, he refused to move. And there's... So, and, and with Serena, I will say with Serena in room two, this case, she did offer to go in room two because she, she saw room... She, I think someone suggested maybe room two can work. Room two was occupied. It was... Karen Kachanoff was in there doing a TV interview, uh, not at the podium, but sort of standing in that room doing it. And then Del Potro was scheduled to come in in like one minute. And so that room was taken. And so she did offer. Like, people gave her credit. Like, she was willing to go in a smaller room. Like, 
yes, okay, she did, but it was not an option. Anyway, that's it's, that's it's just a again, the it's fact a complicated situation. It's an unfortunate one that that had to be like the story of the first week. I don't like when things like that happen, but yeah, yeah. whatever. Anyway, the Whoopi clip did amuse me <laughs> tremendously. <laughs> As as Gary and Nathan said, like it's just like it's just a wild timeline when <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg talking about Dominic Team. Uh, and that's about it from French Open. Any, any other thoughts on uh, stuff? I had a lot of really good ham and cheese baguettes this tournament. I appreciate that. I have that. to say, I had very, I was very skeptical. Uh, this year, the media room was was obviously not in Chatrier because we destroyed it last year. So it was kind of a built-up makeshift media center and in the old museum in the old museum basement basement. and i had very low expectations and i was ready to get mad about a lot of things and it worked out really well i I, gotta say people were like good sports about it too yeah i think everybody understood but like i mean the sandwiches were constantly there there was water constantly these are things that not didn't necessarily happen at the other media center (laughs) yeah it was great i mean like so i was you know, Major bathroom shortage on the men's side, but otherwise fine. Yeah, I mean, like, no TVs, but that was, you know, what can you do? We kind of all understood that it just wasn't possible to have individual televisions for each reporter. Little things like that, but I have to give props to to the FFT. I, I, I'm, I was surprised at how well they pulled that off. Yeah, I would agree with that. Some of my two court got a lot of attention. Um, I thought it was, it's a, it's a pretty venue. It's like, I think it's like interestingly like nicer from the outside and the inside. On the inside, it kind of feels like a normal court and like a nice normal court. But when you're in there, you don't really feel like it's the, a special the, the, court. You don't feel the greenery the way that it's oh. like advertised kind of. Like if you look really closely, like you can sort of see glass behind the court, but not actually planted. It's concept art. It's, yeah, it's, it's concept. concept. And then when you're actually in the thing, you're like, oh, this is like exactly the same thing as always. Getting to it is nice. Yeah. But then, then it does feel like Roland Garros and it doesn't feel that different from like court 14, which is a similar sort of sunken court which is great also yeah. on the very opposite end of the grounds the tournament's still super congested they have definitely had congestion problems this year for sure there was all the sort of rioting out outside of court one after they moved Ravrinka Dimitrov out of Longland um so you know I mean this tournament still has its, has its own traditional problems that it will still have you say problems they say charms yeah I don't think it's a charm I don't think anybody thinks that speaking of charm and opinions let's just get right to <laughs> what, we, what we saw last night let's pivot sports Courtney, we went to two World Cup games together. You've been to three so far I have. this World Cup. I've been to two. You went to the French opener against South Korea. They went 4 nothing, And then together we went to the Japan-Argentina game, which I was pretty excited for. Japan had made the finals the last two years. They're a great team. And they did, like, nothing in this game. And it was nil-nil, and it was bad. Um, and then we drive. We rode the car at Orly, whole scene. There's this woman in front of me in line. I have to share this <laughs> with the public. And her identity, no one will know. But she was this, like, American woman. He was talking to her mother. She's going to be on vacation with in, in France or whatever. And she was bragging to her mother that she hadn't, that her son, this is the, the daughter's son, hadn't showered in four days because she had banned him from the bathroom. I have a lot of questions. I, I, I don't think that's a feasible thing to do to a child. Anyway, continuing. Uh, we get in the car. We drive to Rems, Reams, Rems, Reams, Rhymes, whatever. And we go to the stadium and see the U.S. women play. And they scored, not that early, they scored eventually. And then they scored again, and they scored again. Halftime, 3 nothing. They come back, put up 10 more. World record in the World Cup. 13 nothing win over Thailand. Some people are real mad about this. Are we those people? <laughs> we are not those people. We are not. I mean, we are mad for different reasons. We are mad because, obviously, it show you know that sort of result. I'm. How do I even jump into this? We are mad because the system of women's football allows for this sort of result to happen. We are mad that there that that not every federation, you know, which are federations that have money, every football federation in the world, pretty much on some level, has some money. Yeah. Um, that they do not invest in their women's teams. That the tie team which came through world cup qualifying you know took australia to a shootout like mm. they had opportunity you know and um that they were out there and yes they were overmatched and everybody knew that they were going to be overmatched this was number one versus number 34 in the world rankings uh which considering that probably there's only like 40 teams <laughs> like that gives you a sense this isn't 134 with in tennis um so we, it was always going to be a blowout it was always going to be a big a big a big uh, goal tally 
But the reaction from the general media, and I don't know if this is country specific only to the US, I don't know if the Brits feel this way, I don't know if France feels this way, etc., is, oh, that was running up the score, like they should have pulled back, A, and B, that they shouldn't have, okay, fine, score your goals, but you shouldn't have celebrated the late goals the way that they did because there were, uh, I guess, larger celebrations. And and to be fair, Ben and I were in the stadium and we were not obviously looking at the celebrations. Like it's a different experience when you're at the game. Yeah. We were busy high fiving (laughs) and and chanting like, you know, and jumping up and down. Um, So we didn't see, you know, a lot of the stuff that maybe is making people mad. Um, So I don't know, but it obviously opens up this whole conversation. Like, and this goes towards Ben, you, you highlighted it to me, Liz Clark's great article, in the Washington Post dare shine. about the, the, the FIFA Women's World Cup motto, dare to shine, which she excoriates, rightfully so. It's a terribly patronizing crap motto. Which I'll point out the French version, which is like the time to shine or the moment to shine, much better. Yeah, the French the French version's fine. Um, and then, so there's that. Uh, and, and, and kind of, again, this seemingly, uh, like, they're playing the Women's World Cup. I'm sorry. This is not rec league. This is not, you know, uh, uh, you this know. Is, this is not all an exercise in female empowerment, which is what it's being phrased at, yeah. framed as, and celebrated as by a lot of the media and a lot of the non-American media, honestly, who's trying to be like, women's soccer, hooray for women. It's the sort of tone of it. And like, okay, yes, but also they all got together and flew here and trained for four years to see who's the best team. And how do you determine who's the best team? Well, you get out on a field and you try to kick the ball in the other one's net and see how many times you can do it, right? And try to stop the other team from doing it. And they showed it was 13 nothing. And you go, you play a game to see how teams match up against each other, right? And so this turned out to be a mismatch, but you have to play the game to be a mismatch. And I just, I think, and this is what the U.S. said, and I agree with this too, as someone who's been certainly on the losing end of routes in sports also, in my life as a hockey goalie i've certainly seen plenty of, i've had double digit scores against me myself not in a while and not often but like it did happen like once and like i remember i would not have been like oh i wish i just stood the red line and passed the puck back and forth that would be like you know more stupid well and also again from and an more ent- humiliating honestly it's more humiliating when you when when people pull up secondly we did we did sub in people we're yeah. only allowed three subs unfortunately our subs are 2015 MVP, Carly Lloyd, uh, Chris Impress, and Mallory Pugh, one of the future stars of the game. Like, I did love, though, when they subbed out a defender for an attacker. <laughs> it's like, I loved that. But a part of it, it was also kind of like, okay, now come attack. And then they came and attacked, and then we scored on a counter. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think that, th- that there is – I think that this Women's World Cup, it will be fascinating to kind of see the world's media and fans as well because this is stuff that was coming from, from hardcore women's soccer fans as well – who are like, oh, you just don't do that. Yeah. You know, or, oh, I feel bad. Think of the Thai team. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I think of the Thai team. I was screaming. I'm hoarse, not because of the goals, but because I was, like, standing there, like, applauding the Thai team as they were going around, like, saluting the crowd. Yeah. Because you earned it. You Every made time they it. subbed one, someone, they got, like, big applause to the player who's coming right. off the field. Like, you put up as good a fight as you could. Right. You tried. You did, like, honestly, like, okay, 13 sounds bad, is bad, it's record, bad, but... Like, there were, like, 40-something shots on goal. Yep. Like, they could have... It could have been worse. The first half, they could have had easily six goals. Yeah. And they had three. Yeah. So, you know, they did their best. And... And they put in professional effort at their level and their capabilities, and they went to the World Cup. And it's a tournament. Yeah. Okay? Goal differential matters. Goal differential matters, first of all, as a tiebreaker between the first and second in the group. But secondly... Um, and they don't have necessarily... They have to play Sweden, and it's a whole thing. I'll rant, rant, rant about that later. But, um... The other thing as well, they had to sit there. Okay, so the French team, which are the number two favorites, played the first match of the Women's World Cup. This came last Friday. The U.S. women played the last. In that time, because French put four goals up against South Korea, the U.S. women have had to be asked, oh, what did you think about that France performance? That that was pretty amazing. Likely quarterfinal opponent, France. Right. Likely quarterfinal, right? Like the U.S. and France could play quarterfinals, and they and so what do you do? You go out there and you make a statement. You score thirteen goals, and you say four ain't four ain't nothing. We just put up thirteen. A lot of it is aura. A lot of it is making a statement. You are the U.S. women's national team. You are the best in the world. There's no question of that. You may not win the World Cup, but it won't be because you're not the best in the world because women's because World Cup is a competition. Yeah. But it's the same sort of thing. Like when we were joking about it on radio at, uh, during the French Open, when Roger, oh, sorry, when Novak and Rafa in the first early rounds, 
they're, they were like bulldozing and it almost felt like they were playing each other. Like, oh, oh, you you dropped six games, I just dropped five. There was a day. Oh, you spent 90 days? Oh, I, spent, I spent, you know, less time than you on court. I think in their third or fourth round, so I think it was fourth, third, I don't remember, but Nadal and Federer played back-to-back and matching score lines. It was like 3-3-2 three, three, and two for both of them. And like, yeah, you do some of these messages. I have seen Rafael Nadal do savage, inhuman things to Nicolas Basilashvili on court <laughs> Philippe Chatrier. I saw that match. Like, it was just like, I've seen him destroy people. Right? And it's his thing. And he does it to, A, conserve energy. B, to make sure everything's firing okay. C, because he knows if he lets off, it's like, things, if, he, if you slow down, you can, you're more realistic. It's like you're on a bike. If you, if you stop pedaling as hard, your balance gets a little wonkier. You know, things can go bad. Um, Serena, let's say, again, I mentioned this last enough match again, if she'd been a little more ruthless, and that, not that she was not being ruthless, but had beaten Carolina Pliskova two points earlier in that match, she doesn't roll her ankle. She stays healthy, and it's not a best analogy for soccer, which no, is a but clock I mean- sport. But... What I'm saying is, like, you go out there and send messages and test yourself and try to be the best you can be. You're not, there's nothing, you lose nothing. It's not like the U.S. had a limited number of goals to give in this tournament. It's funny that Alex Morgan's already, like, like a couple goals away from, like, probably clinching Golden Boot. <laughs> yeah. But, you well, know. Well, Christian has three. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Serena Williams, you know, p- pasting Diana Yastremska in the second round of the Australian Open. Like, no one sitting, well, people shouldn't be sitting there and being like, well, that's mean. Yeah. No, you go and you, you freaking play. When she kills Sharapova in the gold medal match in 2012, no one's like, gosh, that's just like unsportable. People are like, I mean, wow, at least hit a double fault is. four times and give a game away. Yeah. Like, that, that's just not how we talk. That's and that shouldn't time. be how you talk about women's sports. Sorry. Like, and the whole female empowerment nonsense. I mean, look, we can talk about all of the things. And again, another angle of the whole US 13-0 thing. The U.S. women are suing the Federation yes. for equal pay. They're trying to show their worth. They have to show it. Like, they literally know that the world is watching, specifically in America, and that as they, if they put up these score lines, like public opinion will be completely on their side with respect to this lawsuit. There's a lot going on. And on top of that, I, I really liked a point that Ben made last night. They just scored 13 goals. Those 13 goals will be in a highlight reel that are all over the news, that are all over Sports Center. You know, Alex Morgan's five goals will be like, you know, the, the, the well, they could do the whole entire Sports Center. Uh, play top 10. top 10 off of the Women's uh, World Cup if they wanted to. That's good for women's soccer. That grows the game. And it's entertainment. A 3-0 win doesn't grow the game. It's entertainment. We were there. They were actually surprised more than I thought there were French people at this game. At least around us. They were locals at this game who were amused by us, first of all. Yeah. And second of all, who were like, wow, it's kind of, it was almost a little bit like watching like Harlem Globetrotters or something. It was like, wow, you came to see a show. You got a show. You came to see this, like, the, the champions, like, to start their title defense like you saw something that was like damn yeah well like damn these these ladies can score yeah and like wow and like really and, sophisticated and also ways. and in these countries in this world there are skeptics about the entertainment value of, of women's soccer and goals are more entertaining than not goals i know soccer people will disagree with that that's not a bold statement in Shut women's up. soccer it's true yes in men's soccer i understand okay if you want to be italy and you want to park the bus and you want to go for one nil wins Ooh. and whatever fine because you're trying to win and the country cares more about the winning. But right now, in the building of women's football and in the selling of women's football, why the U.S. women's soccer team, in addition to winning, sell out games. It's entertaining. Is because it's entertaining. And it's entertaining for 90 minutes. It's not entertaining until they hit three or four goals and they pull back and then you're just, like, playing ticky-tack at the midfield. No. Like, they go. And it was far more inspiring watching them do that. And they shouldn't have to apologize for it. The fact that they're not apologizing for it is also inspiring. Like, if they have Savage Mode on, go. Yeah. Go for it. Watch and out, Chile. Watch out, Chile, and watch out the rest of the field. But, like, you know, and it's Sweden. sports, man. Friggin it's Sweden. sports. Ugh, Sweden. Sports! Yeah. I mean, you didn't... Sports is you put yourself out there. You say, here's the kickoff. Let the games begin. I'm ready. And also, don't be patronizing to the Thailand team. I agree. Those are grown ladies too, and they knew what was they were getting up. To, they were they were coming up against. Just like every player who comes up against a Serena Williams when she's at her peak form, you go up there, you take your one in love, and you say thank you very much. What an experience that was. Sorry. So you tell your grandkids because about sports. like I got to play against the best at their best. And also, one more point, I mentioned this too. This team had like some doubt swirling around it, yes. right? With Jill Ellis, with Hope Solo, bless her, bless her <laughs> mischievous heart. It's <laughs> one word for it. Um, you know talking crap about her old coach or whatever and now they silence a lot of They're that not doubters. Wrong, I'm not, again, I'm not saying. wrong, but at least there's a distraction now. At least they changed the headlines. The headline is no longer are they good enough now, it's are they too good. 
And that's great. <laughs> that's so crazy. That's great. So with that, we say goodbye from the Champagne region. Any other rants, raves for this episode of NCR? That's it for me. Yeah, that's pretty much good. Oh, yeah. The Mind. I think I may have raved about it before, but we were playing this card game called The Mind, which I like very much. And uh, it's fun. That's all. Yeah, it involves numbers and 100 and guessing and rhythms and such and fun. Uh, yeah, so that's that. Thank you for listening to NCR. No challenges remaining. If you want to follow along when you're not listening, do so. Uh, follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. Send us your questions and comments on email. No challenges remaining at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher and leave reviews on iTunes or wherever. Uh, that's that. Courtney, can you explain what song we're going to hear as our outro for this episode and why? Well, I believe that our outro for this episode will be um, the crooning stylings of one American icon, Britney Spears. Britney Jean Spears. Britney, Britney Jean Spears. Uh, and it is a song entitled Work Bitch. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because when I was at the opening game at Parc de Prince for the for the France-South uh, Korea game, at halftime, first of all, it was so much more hype than any other game that I've gone to. There was like a straight-up DJ, like DJing some aggressive tunes. And one of those tunes was Britney's Work Bitch at halftime, which I thought was interesting at first. I was like, well, that's aggressive because this is kind of a family environment. But then I really grew to love it because... It like just encapsulated everything that I wanted from this World Cup, which is like, ladies, get out there, and if you want it, you want a Maserati. It's being goal oriented. You it's want a Bugatti. It's being, you know, driven. Yes. It's meritocracy. Like you have to achieve certain things, and I think it's fair to say the U.S. earned a few Bugattis. A few Bugattis. And the party in France. All the teams who got here got to party in France. That's what you get by getting to the World Cup. True. And including is, Thailand. That's true. They got to party in France. They got to party in France. And they're going to continue to party in France. But it's a perfect uh, World Cup, Women's World Cup unofficial anthem. Way better than Dare to Shine. I agree. So that's how we're going out. You better walk, bitch. You better walk, bitch. You better walk, bitch.